All right. Hi, everybody. It's RCFB Talk 97. It's Tuesday night, which means we want to hear from you and we enjoy hearing from you. So if you get a chance, if you want to talk, we'd love to have you hit request and tell us your thoughts about what's going on in college football this week. We look forward to hearing from you. It's going to be myself, Bob Akhairi, and my co-host, Sirius. We always enjoy hearing from you on Tuesday nights. Hey, Sirius, how are you doing this evening? Doing great. Ready to take some uh, listener calls and see what uh, everybody wants to talk about after another exciting weekend of college football. Absolutely. You know, what game struck you the most this week so far? I think Oregon-UCLA was a really interesting game um, going into it because, you know, we we knew what uh, UCLA has done this season, put together a pretty strong resume so far. And then Oregon, after coming back from just that absolute beatdown in the opening week against Georgia and seeing how Bo Nix has improved, um, you know, he's playing a different type of, of defense mostly than what he faced when he was at Auburn. But at the same time, I mean, he is rocking and rolling. And uh, Dan Lanning has has done quite the turnaround at Oregon, you know, as a first-year head coach, especially when we look and see what Mario Cristobal is doing in Miami. Absolutely. You know, I'm really curious to see how the next couple of weeks are going to shake out. I mean, to me, the team that – I don't know if it's a surprise, but I've been impressed at the the consistency throughout the season has been Clemson. Because last year seemed to be, an, I guess, now more of an aberration, not a, a change. Because I think a lot of people were maybe perhaps wondering or hoping that, you know, there was going to be a, a decline in, in Clemson's sort of rise that it had gone under, gone through under Dabo. Because um, three losses was unusual, obviously, for uh, Clemson under his tenure. But it's so far so good this season. I mean, especially after he lost, you know, both athletic, pardon me, both um, coordinators. It seemed like this might be the the make or break year, but Dabo's got them back in line for you know winning out. There, I don't see any reason why they wouldn't make the playoffs. So certainly, Clemson to me has been so far the most impressive team. Um, I'm not sure if where you're at on that. And by the way, if you would like to join the conversation, just hit request. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, Clemson's an interesting one this season because I know some Clemson alums, and uh, I think there was definitely from the fan base a uh, little bit of thought that you know losing, um, obviously losing Brent Venables was going to be a big loss. Uh, but in terms of you know on, on the offensive side of the ball, that you know Tony Elliott, I think had, had kind of worn out his welcome at Clemson with the fans. And I think that there were several that were looking at it as though it might be kind of a, you know, addition by subtraction kind of situation. So that's been really interesting to see. Obviously, DJ's everybody's talked about how he, he's kind of, you know, his physique has changed. He's playing better this year than he did last year. Kind of seeing more of like a 2020 type performance from him, which is huge. Um, Clemson's defense isn't where it was under Brian, uh, under Brent Venables, but... I mean, that's that's a pretty high bar. So it'll be interesting to see how they finish out their season. But so far, they've looked a lot better than I was expecting. And they've gotten progressively better as the season has gone on as well. Yeah, I think that is definitely what struck me the most about Clemson this season. They seemed like, you know, 
especially, you know, Wake Forest obviously has ended up being great too. I think that was where we saw them establish themselves as being, you know, return to their strength. And then NC State, obviously, this game against Syracuse. Syracuse, I mean, actually, and I think that's to me the most striking thing about this season so far is the strength of the Atlantic division in the ACC. I'm not sure. Do you think, how, how would we put them? I mean, are they the most, I mean, where would you rank them among divisions right now across the FBS, um, across the FBSC? I mean, I think they rank pretty well. Um, it's kind of an, an interesting uh, a situation there because, I mean, obviously, you know, the Big 12, we've talked about this, has been s- extremely entertaining and has some, some pretty high-level teams that are all jockeying at the top. Um, but if you look at it, I think the Big 10 East is always up there um, just because with Ohio State and Michigan both playing the way that they are, um, I think that that kind of puts them at a different level. That alone drags everybody else up. Um the SEC West isn't quite as dominant as they usually are. LSU starting to, to look like they're getting their act together. Um, Bama's not playing their normal style of football. Uh, very, very sloppy. Lots of, of careless mistakes that we've seen this year that's you know not your typical Bama. Um, so I think that that kind of creates some space. Meanwhile, the SEC East looks a lot better. Uh, obviously with Georgia and Tennessee, and then you throw in Kentucky's having a solid season. Um, South Carolina's doing relatively well, but, uh, uh, you know, that's the rest of the, the, the rest of the, con- of the division we won't talk about. Um, so I think that that really kind of sets it up, you know, for, uh, for the, for the Atlantic division in the ACC, I think that they might have a, a solid argument you know, I don't know how we want to talk about take the Big 12 since they don't do divisions, but um, compared to the Big 10 East, I think that maybe they're right there with the SEC East kind of slotting in in my mind in that like 2-3 spot, somewhere around there. The big thing is we just don't have a good um, non-conference slate to compare Clemson, Q's, and Wake against the rest. I mean, we've got Florida State sitting there at 4-3, and three, and their three losses are to good teams. Um, and they have a, a loss against or a win over LSU that's looking better and better as we go on. So it's kind of uh, an interesting situation there. And then you got, I mean, poor Boston College is just kind of like they're trying, man. They're trying. Yeah, Boston College. I it's they've got they're definitely suffering these days. And I'm not sure what it's going to take to turn them around. You know, they they've always had that trick. They're a small college. If you've ever been there, it's beautiful area to go to in Boston. It's just out. It's really funny. I mean, for those who don't know, you know, you'll sometimes hear them refer to it Chestnut Hill. It The college is basically on the border where everything but the stadium is in the neighboring suburb of Chestnut Hill. And then the stadium's actually in the city of Boston. But um, it's a beautiful campus, but it's a small school. It's it's a lot like, I mean, heck, I mean, I mean, what am I saying? You know, Wake is proving you can be a small school and private school and do well in the ACC. So clearly that isn't the only thing to blame, but I think, you know, New England always struggles to get people interested in the FBS football and, and without a strong Boston college team, I'm not sure. I mean, we can't count on you mass or you, <laughs> maybe not UConn uh, to, to pick up that mantle, you know, one thing, and we were talking a little bit about the sec. Um, 
Tennessee has been so impressive. I mean, I'm not saying because they, you know, did what they were supposed to do and, and slaughtered UT Martin, but which wasn't a bad FCS team to begin with. They were actually ranked. But I mean, I just look back at what they've done and they've managed to, you know, they they their cross-divisional schedule was LSU and Alabama, and they went 2-0. Obviously, they were undefeated. I I'm looking at the rest of their schedule. This I mean, Georgia's gonna be the tough one. But Kentucky, obviously, Georgia and Kentucky, their next two games, that's going to be a really defining moment for them. I mean, I know for a lot of Tennessee fans, this going into this season, they were hoping for, I don't think any of them really, I mean, in their heart of hearts, of course, I think any fan hopes that their team will start the way Tennessee has. But they look so strong right now. And I think anything, I mean, gosh, what do you think the ceiling is on them? I mean, anything less than 10 wins would be disappointing, but I, I think at this point, even 11 or 12 is, is reasonable. I mean, you know, that would obviously be winning out the regular season, but I, Tennessee, the sky seems to be the, I mean, that Georgia game is going to be the determining factor. Do we think, do you think they have a shot at toppling Georgia? Uh, first off, I, I think, yeah, 10 wins. If you don't hit 10 wins, then in the regular season, then it's definitely, you're going to feel like you left something on the table. Just because essentially that's saying you most likely lost to Georgia, and then you've got Kentucky or South Carolina, Kentucky and South Carolina losing to both of them, um, in order to to only hit nine wins. And South Carolina's looking solid. Kentucky's looking pretty pretty good as well. But right now they don't look like they're on the same level as Tennessee, like not at all. Um, and that's not a slide on them. I mean, it's just Alabama's defense couldn't slow this team down. Um, and we've heard the, you know, when we, when we had, <laughs> when we had a, a, a reporter on earlier this season talking about, oh, you know, they'll figure out Josh Heupel's offense in year two, like they'll slow him down. Well, so far, nobody has, not really. I mean, Pitt kind of, uh, but Bama didn't, and they've seen it twice now. Um, so yeah, I think that it's, it's going to be a really tough hill to climb for Kentucky and South Carolina to try to, to slow them down enough to beat them because they don't have that type of explosive offense. Georgia actually does from a points standing and, and they're pretty close on yards. Um, obviously they get an advantage there because of their defense, which is significantly better. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if their defense can do what Bama's couldn't. And I mean, uh, Bama's defense came kind of close. Uh, you know, they got some key turnovers and generated some points on their side of the ball. It just wasn't enough. Um, so we'll see if Georgia can do it. I think Georgia probably has the ability to kind of grind games out better than than Bama does because um, I think that was really what kind of sank their hopes was they just did not kill clock to end the game the way that they should have. Um, and you, know, you take the game out of Bryce Young's hands. That's... That's just poor planning uh, from Bill O'Brien. So I'm thinking, you know, if you're going to bet on it, then yeah, I think 11 games, 11 wins in the regular season for Tennessee with the Georgia game being the toss-up. Um, and they're going to be the dogs in that game, um, almost certainly. You know, it's a road game at Georgia, uh, defending national championships, undefeated. You know, there's, there's no insult to that. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how those two match up. Um, 
But yeah, they got to get past Kentucky first, but I don't see that being a huge hurdle um, compared to what they're going to face in Georgia on the fifth. Yeah, I'm having trouble pegging where Kentucky's going to end up, you know, by the end of the season. I mean, once they finish with Tennessee, they have unpredictable, but probably going to lose Mizzou, Vandy, which is whatever. And then, you know, they also take on Georgia. And then Louisville, you know, it's a rivalry game, but uh, I don't, again, another team where I'm not sure where to place them, but Kentucky should take care of business. It's, um, it's been so far, you know, again, uh, Kentucky fans, I'm sure, always they've been they've been trained by this recent spate of success they expect more and i think that's wonderful and i hope they continue it and i'm sure their fans do too you know at at the same time though kentucky fans have have suffered through a lot of really good seasons where they lost to florida or tennessee or both despite looking like they were the better team and uh there's some real curses going on in those in those series against those two teams for Kentucky. And I think that at this point, like they, they don't get overconfident about those games because they've had their hearts broken so many times. So I think that's why they were so excited when they beat Florida this year, even if Florida's on a down year, uh, just being able to go and get that win is so huge for them because I mean, you know, they've had over a decade long streak, I think against, against both of those teams at various points. So, uh, you know, that's kind of like a, a high watermark measurement for for Stoops with being able to say, you know, yeah, I've beat Kentucky. I, I've beat uh, – I've taken Kentucky. I've beaten Tennessee. I've beaten Florida, um, which has not been a common occurrence for the Wildcats. Yeah, I'm not ex- – but for what, what it's worth, I do expect Tennessee to take them down. This weekend, you know, another topic. And by the way, for those of you out there, we'd love to hear from you. Just hit request. We'll let you up and we'd love to hear your thoughts on college football at, at any level. Um, and I laid out that challenge knowing that I'll have to probably pick up the uh, <laughs> the slack. So if you want to talk, just if you're on, you have to use the Twitter app. Just hit request. It'll be in the bottom left and we'll happily let you up to join us. So one of the stories and it actually it's funny, the, the biggest story at least in terms of sheer interest on our CFB this week, came this morning. And it was the fact that those Texas A&M players were suspended for smoking weed in the locker room before the South Carolina game. Now, I personally think that it's a little ridiculous that any team would... uh, I mean, you know... as we know, it's kind of a wild west for, for each state has their own version of it. But to me, the funny thing is that means they did it at Williams Bryce. That means they did it at South Carolina, which to me is, I mean, <laughs> you did it in the visitor's locker room. That to me was the funniest part of it. And oh, hey, we've got someone who wants to come up. We're going to go ahead and let you up, Ryan. One second. Can't wait to hear from you. But what do you make of that, Sirius? Yeah, I think that we're starting to get into a, a real turning point when it comes to some of these these rules that are in place because right now it's a tricky spot with federal illegality but being legal at some states but also being banned internationally when it comes to athletics like you know like the ioc bans marijuana um you know we saw this with the the sprinter last year in the lead-ups to the olympics um or this year whenever it was you know testing positive so public opinion has definitely shifted quite a bit in recent years. So it's it's kind of created this weird 
you know, kind of like mental state where you hear this and you think that's ridiculous, but then it's like, oh, well, you know, pretty much everywhere else in the world, you know, athletes can't, can't smoke weed either. So it's not in line with us public opinion, but it's still in line with international athletics rules. So it's just this really weird dichotomy. I think that's going on right now. And it creates this, yeah, like I say, kind of a weird mental reaction. Um, but yeah, it's kind of, I think at the end of the day, winning cures everything, right? Like how many times did Tyron Matthew yeah, exactly. um, get busted for smoking weed at LSU? Yeah, there's and, things uh, get busted for, and that one just seems ridiculous. And again, I don't even know if that's 100% confirmed. So, but anyway, Yeah, I mean, fine. I think if they win the game, then, then it, you know, it gets swept under the rug. But uh, right now they're sitting there with as many wins as Vanderbilt. So uh, the, the... Oh, wow. I did not realize <laughs> that. Oh, yeah, my God. And, SEC shorts mentioned that one. And I was like, Ooh, wow. oh, that, that hurts. Um, wow. but yeah. So anyway, they're, they're sitting there with as many wins as Vanderbilt and, uh, and not in a good Vanderbilt year either. Um, I mean, better than last year, but you know, it's all relative. Um, and they win that game. Then, then I'm sure it's not a big deal, but right now Jimbo's not exactly in, uh, the mood to entertain frivolity. We'll say, <laughs> Hey, but hey, you know what? He's got the best deal of probably any coach right now in terms of job security, or at least financial security. Hey, Ryan, what's up? We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, appreciate the opportunity and uh, always love this space. Uh, let's keep the theme in Texas. Uh, so a lot of TCU fans are you know, feeling a little bit down with the recent AP rankings, uh, specifically saying, hey, if UT had our same record and played who they played, who, you know, if we essentially swap us with UT, they would be maybe a top four team playoff favorite, but you know, TCU not getting the love. So uh, just would love to hear your take on that. Um, is it, you know, are we going to see another uh, 2014 when TCU got left out of the playoff when Ohio state somehow made it or, you know, what do you think is going to happen there? Oh, I love that. Uh, you know, I, can I just say uh, one quick thing? The, yeah. the, what, what it reminds me a little bit of, is the TCU, I remember when they were rising under Gary Patterson. You know, back when it was Conference USA, when it was Mountain West, and they were turning out great records, but, you know, they'd be in the 20s with a 10-2 and two record, or they'd be in, you know, they and it took a while. I still remember. They're like, they and Boise State had the model for how, you know, a G5 team could climb up in the rankings. It was never one season. It took multiple seasons for example, until 2010, when, of course, that was like the pinnacle of, of any G5 program when they finished the year consensus number two with that Rose Bowl win. That was just spectacular. But, yeah, it's it, that shouldn't be happening now, I agree. But at the same time, I think the way things will work there is if they continue to win. And, I mean, that in a way isn't – I always find that answer to be a little bit frustrating for fans because, I mean, it, it – you know, they've won all they've won already. I mean, they've won four ranked they won games against four consecutive ranked opponents, Oklahoma, Kansas, Oklahoma State, Kansas State. And of course, that game at SMU was a huge deal for the program, not only because it was a rivalry, but because of all the, the drama, you know, of returning to uh, of Sonny Dykes returning to his his previous coaching spot. But the way I look at it is as long as you keep winning, things should probably work out it's a little early to start making that comparison uh, but you're right i think if texas i i, I think you're right if texas because first of all texas would have beat alabama 
<laughs> so that would have certainly helped um, a lot of perceptions. Um, but I, I, I'm on the, I'm on the just, just not trust the process, but just see how it goes. What do you think, Sirius? Well, I, first of all, I'm gonna, as much as it pains me, I will speak in defense of 2014 Ohio State. Uh, they beat the absolute cheese curds out of Wisconsin. I mean, that essentially was what made the difference for them getting up and, and taking the number four spot and TCU getting left at home. Um, because you win your conference championship game against the number 13 ranked team in the country, 59 to nothing. Like, geez, like what, what if you want to put a statement when, you know, to kind of finish off your season, that's huge for TCU fans. I know it's frustrating. If you want to get mad at somebody, get mad at, mad at the big 12 for saying, you know, one true champion, but then being like, oh, just kidding. Actually, we have two champions, and they're both equal. Because that was just kind of a cop-out on their part. And if they had had... If they had... At the time, they had they would have had to expand. If they had had enough teams to have a, a conference championship game, you don't have this problem because TCU gets another ranked game to end their season which allows you to have something to put up against Ohio State's demolishing of Wisconsin. Uh, but they didn't, and they also didn't have a tiebreaker to say, this is our one true champion. So it's like, uh, our champions are Baylor and TCU. You can kind of pick whichever one. And they you know, were kind of like uh, washing their hands of it, hoping that by not picking either one, they also wouldn't pick the wrong one in the eyes of the committee and hurt the other's chances. So I think that that's where that kind of comes from. But yeah, obviously painful for, for TCU and Baylor fans both. Um, but Big 12 let them down big time. But yeah, I think that if I'm this a TCU season, fan, yeah. if I'm a TCU fan this year, um, Georgia-Tennessee play in two weeks. Less than two weeks. Those are both ahead of you. So someone there is going to pick up a loss. Um, Michigan and Ohio State play in a few weeks. Someone there is going to pick up a loss. So I think that you've got a clear route. You control your own destiny at this point because most likely of the three SEC teams ahead of you, um, there's going to be at least one loss added between Georgia and Tennessee. And then one of those two teams, most likely, is going to have to most likely play Alabama or somebody else. Which means that if it's somebody somebody else, then it's out. Exactly. Exactly. So you you narrowed that list down pretty fast. And only either Ohio State or Michigan is going to make it into the Big Ten championship game. And I can't imagine they're going to lose. So most likely the runner up there has kind of, you know, fallen down a rank. Um, So I think that TCU is actually in a very, very good position, um, even if it does look like it's crowded in front of them, because five of the teams are from two conferences and they're going to yeah. sort themselves out. And I'll so there's this a- much, I think, you know, TCU has finished probably the most difficult part of its regular season. You know, obviously they've got the title. They, I mean, assumably they'll finish out and get the title game, but at West Virginia, Texas tech at Texas Baylor, you know, Iowa state, they finished probably the worst part of their schedule already. So now they just need to keep focused and continue doing what got them this far. And exactly, if they can do that over the next, you know, five, well, six games with a title game, they should 
by all accounts, make it through, I do believe. That, that in my mind, for all those reasons you mentioned. Although, again, if it is a bit of pull inertia, you have to say that much, because TCU didn't even appear in the rankings until, what was like, week five? So I think that, that hurt them a bit, because at that point, the other teams were already up there, and we know, unless you lose, they, they really, has or have some really awful wins, they might move you one spot. But... At this point, I think um, I, th- I think that's mostly to blame for that. If TC, for example, and I, this doesn't make a TCU fan feel better, but if they continue on this way and somehow get left out, but win out, I mean, do well, and you know, maybe drop a game and and win a New Year's Six Bowl, of course they'll definitely be ranked high next season. But that doesn't help this season. I think there was too many questions with just having a new head coach. I mean, not that Sammy Dykes is a bad head coach by any stretch. He was definitely a known quantity, but I think all of that probably kept them from being ranked higher before the season. And unfortunately, as much as people like to um, decry the preseason rankings, they do make a difference when it comes to sort of these these longer range goals for teams that suddenly seem like they're better than was expected. Yeah, and I'd say that if you're a TCU fan, there's a little bit of a, of a hidden blessing too is that Oklahoma State's ranked ninth in the AP right now. So you've already played them. You beat them. Um, that means if if they went out and you went out, you're going to get the rematch in the Big 12 championship game, which means you get a very good ranked game against two top 10, um, possibly top seven even teams, which is a huge, huge resume booster um, to finish out, out the regular season. And uh gives you a ton of inertia going into the final CFP ranking. Um, and on the other hand, you know, if you, if you think that you're getting slighted by the, uh, the voters, just look at what was happening to poor Syracuse <laughs> up until, you know, uh, they ran into Clemson and, and finally picked up a loss. Well, I think, um, I think there was not much Clemson. respect there. I think if they beat Clemson, they would have finally people voters would have probably started to come around like, OK, they, they really do seem to have something going there. TCU strength of record right now per ESPN is number three. So that's certainly and I mean, it's absolutely because of the way that the last four weeks went down Four ranked teams beating them all. And that, I think, helped them quite a bit. But Ryan, does that does that help alleviate some of your concerns or at least I'm not saying alleviate them, but at least put them in some context? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I definitely have some opinions and I can let this show, you know, keep growing on with other topics. Um, but, you know, it would be a shame just being I might be a TC fan. Just look at my bio. But, you know, be a shame if something like this, you know, a, another team was experiencing what TCU is experiencing now, um, especially after the disrespect in, in 2014. But no, thanks. Oh, for the oh question. certainly it has happened before. I mean, the BCS was worse. Do you remember? I still remember when Auburn got left out undefeated. <laughs> <laughs> because you know there were there were already two other undefeated teams, or and that's to say nothing about the um, you know obviously TCU was a good example, uh, Utah you know the whenever a, a G five team would make it through. So the good news is we just have to get through, I guess a couple more game, a couple more seasons, and we'll have an expanded playoff. So TCU winning out would be a would be a auto bid no matter what um, in that situation, but. Uh, again, it doesn't help this season. I understand that. But thanks, Ryan. It was great hearing from you. Hey, Parker, you've been super patient. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, man. Um, thanks for having me on. It's a little bit late. I seriously really covered most of the points. I was just going to respond to uh, TCU and where y'all were going with that conversation. 
Um, but y'all really covered most of the points. I didn't really feel like they were disrespected. Um, I do think it was a big 12 screwed the bed, uh, screwed the pooch on that one. Um, so I, uh, you know, you look at it and TCU let 24 points since the last six minutes of the Baylor game that year uh, to lose the game. And then the conference decided that maybe it would save face by making co-champions when they're supposed to be the uh, one true champion, right? So it never should have really happened. Um, and I think that that ended up screwing Baylor as well. You look at it, maybe Baylor didn't have the the opportunity to make the playoffs because they had an uh, unranked team lost to West Virginia that season. But um, does that really mean that TCU deserves to be in when Baylor was the better team that day? Maybe, maybe not. Ohio State, yes, had the big win to Wisconsin late in the season. Y'all covered most of these points, so... Sorry, I was in a little bit late on that conversation. No, 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 no. You know, it's so funny. It made me think of how bizarre it got during the polls because, you know, 1978 is a split championship, but there's a really funny quirk to it. So there were two one-loss teams, USC and Alabama. The AP went with Alabama. The coaches went with USC. And USC, uh, pardon me, Alabama's one loss was to USC. <laughs> but And oh, wow. then USC's one loss was to Arizona State, which was a huge Arizona State. That was literally the Ari- That was the first year of the Pac-10. They had just the Arizona schools had just joined the Pac-8, became the Pac-10. And in the very first game that USC and Arizona State played, Arizona State got a monumental upset, and you know that cost you know USC what what might have otherwise been obviously an undisputed title. But then you have the the humor of Alabama, which lost, I believe, it was the opening game to USC getting the other poll so i mean as fun as it is you know it was we keep getting better but still there's lots of room for improvement and hopefully i mean i'm very positive about the 12 team playoff i don't know if there will be a huge need to expand beyond that but man i i just it's fun to think about all the quirks that happened i mean obviously there were more split polls since then but that was my favorite one only because one team actually did beat the other one and they still look better than that um there was the 2008 season, Texas, OU, Texas Tech were all one-loss teams. Texas lost to Texas Tech by, I think, a couple points for that famous Michael Crabtree on the, on the sideline catch in Lubbock. Uh, so that one loss led OU to go play Florida in the 2008 game. That Texas team was a better team than the 2009 National Championship team. And it's really interesting because you have to, like, as a Texas fan or as any fan that, you know, what would have been kind of thing, I think that they would have had a really good shot against Florida, especially with Texas defense that year. There's another really good example of that, the three-team, one loss, and kind of how the Big 12 kind of screwed it for everyone. But anyways, thanks for having me on, man. Thank you. It was good hearing from you. Hey, Luke RJ, we'd love to hear from you, man. And as we kind of wait for him to uh, unmute, uh, just wanted to remind everyone you're listening to our CFB Talk 97. We're hearing your calls and talking the week in college football. So if you'd like to join the conversation, please hit request. We'd love to hear from you. Um, the way that works is the only caveat is you have to use the Twitter app on your phone. But hey, Luke, looks like we saw you on mute there. We'd love to hear from you, man. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love uh, this show. I've actually talked a couple times before on the Twitter space um, about, you know, being like 10 years old, carrying out the goalposts. Uh, you know, that was like my first where I fell in love with college football at South Carolina uh, in, in like 2001. 
or whatever. But uh, I just I've also talked about uh, South Carolina uh, football and and we've talked about Shane Beamer and and how South Carolina fans should be excited. And um, you know he got us to a, a a bowl game in year one, and then uh, we won the bowl game against UNC, so seven wins. And then um, you know this year we're five and two. We just cracked the top twenty-five, and we beat Kentucky um, for the first. Well, they had they had seven out of eight wins. They they beat us seven out of eight years uh, going into this year. And so we cracked, uh, we beat that streak or cracked that streak. And then we beat Texas A&M last week for the first time, uh, ever, uh, South Carolina has never beaten Texas A&M. And, um, just what, uh, his, his father did at Virginia tech, like being in the special team stuff. I don't know if you guys were able to watch the South Carolina games, but he's, uh, He's winning these games with special teams and and defense, uh, just like his dad. And um, you know, he's recruiting well and uh, being in the top twenty-five. You know, the offense isn't exactly where it needs to be, but uh, just your overall thoughts. You know, because I knew y'all were high on Beamer when I asked y'all about it earlier, and uh, just 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 about South Carolina being in the back in the top twenty-five and. Um, just overall thoughts of that. Yeah, friend of the program, Shane Beamer, had him on this summer. Talked about you know what it was like being a first year head coach, uh, what he was able to learn from from his experiences coaching with his dad, and also what it was like to get back to South Carolina, which is you know where he considers home. It's where his phone number is still set to. Um, and uh, yeah, he he's off to a, a great start in year two. It seems like. A um, couple hiccups along the way, but uh, what an exciting game uh, this past weekend against Texas A&M. And like you said, we're seeing a, a little bit of Beamer ball back in action, which is always fun. Um, you know, Matt Campbell today was was quoted as saying that, uh, you know, they don't they don't need a special teams coordinator because uh, they want all their co- coaches involved in it. And uh, you look at their rankings for special teams and they get worse and worse every single year. So uh, it's always fun when you see coaches who recognize the importance of the third side of the game and who want to put their best players out there to try to make plays, which was always Frank Beamer's philosophy at Virginia Tech was, you know, offense or defense, whatever. If you can contribute on special teams, you need to be out there. Um, It's not uh, a a part of the game for backups. So exciting to see what he's doing, what Shane's doing at South Carolina this year. Um, of course, you got the the Battle of the Columbias coming up against Mizzou. Vanderbilt, I don't think that's going to be an issue. There's like a 14-game win streak there. And then uh, finishing out with Florida, Tennessee, and Clemson, which is a little bit of a murderer's row. But already you're 5-2. and two. I think you're definitely going to get at least one or two wins out of there, if not three, and then uh, have a chance to uh, try to play the, the upset card against Tennessee and Clemson which is an exciting way to end the season. So definitely uh, a little opportunity for South Carolina to, to play the chaos role, which will be exciting to see. But, uh, he, you know, he's a, he's a fun person to interview. Um, you got to love his enthusiasm. 
a lot of talk about like trying to build a culture at South Carolina, and it seems to be working. Looks like the players have really bought in uh, to to his approach, and it's making for some really entertaining games so far. I think. Absolutely. You know, I know there was a, a lot of optimism among South Carolina fans who are some of the loyalists, I think, historically. I mean, people of the more recent college football fans may not remember exactly how bad South Carolina got at one point, but they were famous for always really, I wouldn't necessarily, it would, not quite the Nebraska level, but still they would pack williams Price year after year, season after season. And it was always a passion fan base and, and you know, the loyalty was always there. So you, you felt that combined with serious hope after that, you know, better than expected season last year, getting to the Duke's Mayo Bowl and winning out and seeing the Mayo dunk and that, all that silliness, which kind of, you know, builds into the college excitement that makes it fun for everyone. So this season, you know, a lot of optimism. We had Shane uh, Beamer, Coach Beamer, on the show, as Sirius mentioned. You know, they took care of business with Georgia State. And then, you know, they had a couple of hiccups. Not totally unexpected, but that had to be a little bit demoralizing to lose at Arkansas. And Arkansas is, is really a mystery right now. We'll see if they can get their season back online. But then, no shame in losing at Georgia, but still it was a tough loss. You know, it was both of those games, I think, were benchmark games for a lot of South Carolina fans to see. Had they beat Arkansas, I think they would have felt early on a lot of optimism towards being towards, you know, the middle top of the SEC. But since that Georgia game, you know, the first the first couple of games weren't, you know, anything to worry about. I mean, Charlotte is terrible. They just fired their head coach. And South Carolina State is obviously not a team that, that South Carolina should worry about. But that game at Kentucky, where you saw the Kentucky fans start to panic, and then beating... Texas A&M, now it suddenly seems like this team is coalescing. And as everything, I just, you know, Sirius covered the rest of it. It seems like there's a lot of optimism right now for Gamecock fans. And I, it's understandable. And we're, we're, it's, you know, we're fans of all teams. I mean, I love, we're, we're, I wouldn't say we're, we're kind of a different form of sickos. We're always fans. Those guys are great. They kind of popped up, but we just love college football in its entirety. And it's exciting. It's fun to watch this South Carolina team for all the reasons you mentioned, Luke. Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this week is, is huge, man. It's, uh, I was just on another space talking to a South Carolina reporter and, this game is really interesting with Missouri because it's at home. I think it's a four o'clock game. Um, but South Carolina's offense is ranked ninth in passing yards, I think is correct. And Missouri is ranked 12th in passing yards per game. And then on rushing offense, uh, Missouri is ninth in the SEC at uh, rushing yards, and South Carolina is 10th in rushing yards. So it's pretty even on offense, um, but South Carolina may have the edge in defense, and I don't know the stats on that uh, for both teams, but but Missouri has a good defense too, and uh, that's what I've heard from the other Missouri uh, reporters. Um, but Missouri has also struggled a couple times during the year on special teams, and uh, uh, it. Williams Bryce, you're right. It'll be rocking, and we'll uh, all the fans will be there. And um, but yeah, I just uh, uh, you know it's pretty pretty cool to beat that streak against Kentucky and beat that streak against Texas A&M. And you know the offense is not there yet under Beamer. 
you know, it was his first first ever head coaching job. He's still trying to, you know, he hired uh, Marcus Satterfield, and it's it's not where I think he would want it to be. Um, but if we can run the ball, we usually do pretty good. Um, but they've got this other guy in waiting. Maybe he might be the next OC, but he's still trying to figure everything out. If he can get that offense going, he'll he'll always have a solid defense with Clayton Clayton White and uh, Pete Limbo there running the special team. So, and he's recruiting really well. So we're we're really excited. Absolutely, you know, I'm. One thing I do think about is I'm glad you guys have Clemson at the end of the season because if you're going to have any shot at them, you, you want all of these games behind your back because I think this is a team that's getting stronger as it's moving forward. You know, I do have to say one thing I will always also forever love South Carolina is just being – whenever I see South Carolina, I always think of the program because I love that movie to a relentless degree, which is why we tend to shoot out clips all the time on our Twitter account of the, sh- of the movie. But just because, you know – <laughs> it, it's a home of the uh yeah the uh, uh what were they the timberwolves yeah they were the timberwolves in that game and you can i love it if you freeze frame the movie you can see people in south carolina gear but anyway luke thanks for joining us man it was great hearing from you absolutely i appreciate you guys hey again if any of you out there want to join in the conversation just hit request we'd love to hear from you about any college football team you want to talk about we don't mind it's fun for us it's fun for you you know, one of the topics, though, while we're kind of sort of segueing that that struck me this week is, um, you know, the uh, Desmond Howard. You know, we love to tease him because he infamously had, you know, his preseason CFB picks were Michigan, which fine Homer pick. But also, you know, Michigan's a strong team this year. So no, no shame there. And then, of course, he picked Baylor, Pitt and Texas A&M, which are four and three, four and three and three and four. So, you know, we, we teased him a bit. We said it all but guarantees his Wolverines would win a championship. And, and people have been teasing him relentlessly all over the place, not just on Reddit. But to his credit, he actually, he played with that pretty well. He actually, uh, he responded on Twitter and said, damn it, you're on to me. Everyone else is just walking around here angry. So maybe that, that you know, he's got a good sport. So that was, that was fun to see that. That's kind of how you have to handle it if you're going to be a personality on the internet, right? Like, you can't get too mad about stuff. You kind of got to lean into the curve a little bit and, you know, just go on there and have fun. You know, you, exactly. You got to make mis- you make mistakes. It's, you can't be right about everything. Otherwise, you might as well stop, you know, speaking about sports and just gamble on it <laughs> if you have that level of <laughs> prediction ability. So, yeah, it was, it, was, it was cute to see that. You know, one thing I do remember, I remember when they first started – kind of getting him ready to be on ESPN. And for those of us who are around like 20, I want to say 2014, it was about when he started appearing on midweek Maction games and they started kind of putting him on there and seeing how he would do. And, you know, it was, it was cute to watch, you know, him develop as a speaker, you know, and comfortable because I mean, he, everyone thinks they're comfortable. And then you go and do something live like this and you find that you fumble and you make mistakes and, all of that stuff, but it was kind of fun. I still remember the most legendary, and if I get a chance to talk to him again, I am going to bring up the, they put him on the weirdest game ever. It was, I don't think ESPN has done, did it in 2020. Well, obviously they wouldn't have been 2020, but there was a game on election night in 2016, and it was a matching game, totally unimportant. Both teams, I think even had losing records, but I, I just like watching college football. So I was watching the game and they had, 
Desmond Howard, they I forgot who the PvP guy was, but they had Desmond Howard, and the weirdest thing is they had Teddy Atlas. It's the only game I've ever heard him call, and he's a famous boxing commentator. It was one of the strangest games I've ever heard call, and I it wasn't I wouldn't call it a train wreck, but it was just the strangest call I've ever heard. He kept, you know, every everything was being turned into a boxing analogy. And Desmond Howard, you could tell, was trying to be respectful because Teddy Atlas has been around forever, you know. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, it was. I think it was a Buffalo game. Yeah, it was a. But it was a 2016 game for sure. And I just yep. I, I, election night of all of all times, a yeah, Tuesday I mean, night game were, <laughs> in 2016. Something was going on where they're like, let's test this and make sure you know on a on a real game, but one probably no one will be paying attention to. And that was the game they tried it on. And damn it, I witnessed it. It was it was a sight to see. Was, I'm surprised. They, I kind of want to hear them do things like that again. I mean, for all the complaints you hear about the ESPN3 broadcasts, and part of that isn't necessarily ESPN. I believe the home teams have to still find broadcasters. And there's only so many talented broadcasters out there when we're talking, you know, However many games, you know, like 70 games in a given week, potentially, and just FBS level, let alone, you know, the FCS programs that also get broadcast and all the, you know, D2, D3. There's a lot of there's a lot of need for broadcasters out there in football. So I like the idea of occasionally mixing in someone strange. You know, I don't know who would you if you could, you know, and maybe if you guys want to again, if you want to join the conversation, we'd love to hear from you. Here's a funny one. If you could pick someone not in college football to be a analyst during a game who would you pick and what would you like then i mean what how about you serious is there someone you think would be kind of a fun person to toss out there oh um all right well so I, i'll go in all the men because i said buff I, I originally was saying buffalo it was western michigan kent state 2016 on election night um and i actually enjoyed it because i grew up watching like friday night fights and hearing teddy atlas and the only thing that i was disappointed about by the whole thing was that we didn't get like a questionable officiating call so that Teddy could just like launch into his tirade about how, you know, the system was corrupt. The officials aren't trustworthy. You can't trust their, their decisions if the game's in their hands, because like that's whenever there's like a split decision, you know, it has to go to the judges scorecards and boxing and Teddy's on the call. You're almost guaranteed that he's going to like call out the whole system as being, you know, rigged essentially. Um, with no oversight, no repercussions. So that's really what I, I was missing out on. Um, oh my God. On the... it's, a shame, it's a shame they wasted him on a Mac game then. They should have put him on some SEC or, or Big 12 game or Pac-12 at night game and just, oh my goodness. <laughs> you gotta, it, it, had, it would have been like a, a cross Power 5 game where you had like Pac-12 refs or something stupid <laughs> to really get like the full experience. Um, I'm trying to think. I I think like a like maybe like a, a chef type cooking personality would be interesting because um, we've seen some of these other other stuff like uh, Snoop's done some calling. You know, like he's called some sports events. He's been doing doing some like the boxing and stuff. And I can't remember if he's been in a football game before or not. So like those guys are He'd always kind of interesting. At it. Snoop would be really yeah. top of that because he's coached like youth football before. Oh, I mean, yeah. He's, yeah, I mean, he's a huge, huge USC guy. I mean, he's a huge guy for whatever team is really popular. But I mean, part of it's because he's a, a rep for Adidas. Part of it's just because he likes, you know, I think he just likes sports too quite a bit. And, and you know, it's good for branding. But 
you know, at his heart, he's always been, you know, a Trojan. You know, you can see him when he was coaching his little league team or whatever it was. He'd wear all his USC stuff because he grew up in the area. But um, yeah, and of course, his son was a, was a, like a four star or whatever, and was at UCLA for you know a hot second. Which you know, of course, with the USC angle is kind of an interesting, interesting effect. But, uh, yeah, I think obviously someone like that would would have fun with it. Um, who knows what would what would happen on the broadcast? But he's pretty pretty savvy when it comes to being on TV. Like, there's a whole generation of kids now that like, that don't realize Snoop was on trial at one point, <laughs> like on a serious serious charge too. Um, and oh, but a lot of people have been at this point, especially in that area. I mean, well, you know, I know, like, but like, you know, like you hear people today and they think like, oh yeah, you know, he's the, he's that like older rapper that hangs out with Martha Stewart. And it's like, yes, yeah, Snoop caught a murder charge at one point. Like <laughs> his, you know, his, like, his I, image I, now I, is shifted. My favorite ice cubes, my favorite <laughs> on that one where the, there's that meme and it's been around for a long time where it's like, you know, ice cube back. You know, when he was at his his, you know, early years of being a superstar, you know, hip hop artist and then cutting to him being in all the family movies he's in in a canoe with an oar, you know, so I or think Ice-T, he, he went the same it. way. Yeah. You know, goes from from rapping about cops to playing one on TV yeah. for like 15 years. Um, but I, yeah, I think like uh, like throwing out some like the the more like offbeat like non sportsy kind of like cooking personalities, food personalities would be interesting. I mean, could you could you imagine like British the Great British Bake Off college football special would be such a disaster that I would have to watch it. They can uh, apparently apparently the Mexican food, food was but yeah. Well, I'm thinking like uh like barefoot contessa Ina Garten <laughs> put her on the call. Because I feel like she's one that would be like, I don't really know what's going on, but we're just gonna have a good time. <laughs> oh man! With, with yeah, you so know funny. a massive like you know one liter cocktail of uh you know like uh, Cosmo or something. I can't remember who it was that, and and we tweeted it out, and I, I listened to the clip, but it was on a sports where I'm looking it up right now. Yeah, it was Greg McElroy was so mad that the SEC weekend crew was eating during their game. And I think they had like corn dogs or something from the state fair. They he, they were just like, he was so angry. He's like, why do you go and cover? He was especially hard on the sideline reporter about, you know, having fun. And part of me is like, you know, this is still college football, right? You know, it is kind of silly. It is kind of stupid. We're still, I mean, Stephen Fry had that really famous clip that always gets regurgitated where he goes, it was Stephen Fry's, I think it was called Stephen Fry's America. He was doing for BBC. And he covers the Iron Bowl, and he gives this this sort of dry British observation of how how it is to see that, not knowing anything about it, seeing two college teams getting into a massive match with all the pomp, circumstance, and silliness that it has to an outsider, and and all that joy it has. I mean, that to me is, I think, the most. It's a fun but also sobering way to kind of look at what college football looks like to the outside, at least, and, and a sympathetic outsider, I got to say. So to get mad at them for eating, you know, some corn dogs or whatever on the side, I mean, that's, that's, I mean, I, I think they do it because it works. People like watching it for the most part, but certainly, uh, 
certainly that was something that he thought was a little too serious. And as I kind of keep going here, I want to say again, if you'd like to join the conversation before we eventually wrap it up, we'd love to hear from you. Just hit request. We always enjoy hearing your thoughts on college football. Any team, anywhere. So I was watching that. That was the, that was the South Carolina A&M game um, when it happened. And it was hilarious because earlier in the broadcast, they were showing. So um, williams Bryce Stadium is really close to the South Carolina State Fairgrounds. Like, it's right there. Um, <clears throat> which was going on, like, wrapping up the same, the same time as the game. Like, that was, like, maybe the last weekend. And they were showing some B-roll footage of the fairgrounds and, and like, the, you know, the, the midway and everything. And they had a close-in shot of these, like, foot-long corn dogs. And Jordan Rogers, I think, was just, like, mouth-watering at them. Made some really sus comments about it. Uh, that they got a little play on Twitter. Uh, but then later in the broadcast, they brought stuff up to the booth. And uh, Clint Kubelik on the on the sidelines got a bunch of it too so i think his was a donut cheeseburger so two donuts yes. with a cheeseburger in the middle yes yeah and then in the booth they had a burger and they also had like a pizza or something and then a corn dog like a couple of corn dogs and a turkey leg i mean they were just going to town they were trying everything at one point uh rogers had a turkey leg in one hand and a foot-long corn dog in the other and they were having fun with it um, you know, it was kind of a little bit of a, a wild game, too. But it reminded me of back when um, Adam Amin was calling games. And oh, yeah. uh, it was it, it was him and Dusty and Molly, I think, um, that were on the crew. And, like, they always had food. Uh, they finally started getting Molly some, too, because a lot of times they'd have it up in the booth. They wouldn't have anything for her on the, on the uh, sidelines. So they started sharing the wealth and... Uh, you know, they always had fun with it. And, of course, like Todd Black- Blackledge, uh, whenever uh, he calls games, he usually oh, yeah. does his Todd's Taste of the Town, which is kind of, like, famous at this point. Like, it's a, you know, like, restaurants brag about getting that if you're in a college town. And Todd gives you the shout-out on, on the on the broadcast. Um, like, that, that goes up on the wall. And uh, I, I think some of these announcers have fun with it. Uh, I'm not sure why, why Greg was so uptight unless he was just, you know, Hankering yeah, for a, a corn Luther dog, burger, wasn't it? I mean, it was. Yeah, I, when I saw yeah. that burger. It's the Luther, you know, the the Luther Vandross donut burger. I was. I'm Adam. They're they're intense, um, but they're good. And just you know, in general, you put a, a donut on a flat top and uh, griddle it down a little bit. It's delicious. So um, definitely not something you're supposed to eat on a regular basis. That's for sure. But yeah, they yeah. had fun with it. So I don't know if Greg was just jealous or what, but uh, you know, at least. At least Clint wasn't out there like putting cupcakes in the field again, like uh, oh, yeah. like Quint Kesnick did at the Washington game <laughs> a few years ago. An infamous, <laughs> infamous stunt, and especially because they left them on the field. So I forgot somebody else went <laughs> took a picture of them still on the field to the uh, to the chagrin. Washington fans really loved being uh, teased for that. You know, it looks like we've been on for a little about almost an hour now, so I think we'll go ahead and start wrapping up. On behalf of myself, Bob Akhairi, on behalf of my co-host, Sirius, thanks for joining us this Tuesday night. We always enjoy hearing from you. Now, I'm going to hang up and listen.